are you capable of showing up as this elite person and your ass is sweeping the floors and cleaning the shitters? Do you have the ability to be humble and to understand your place on a totem pole? Do you understand that you don't know anything? Can you embrace that? And so it says a lot about who you are when you are able to embrace these rituals because you know that it adds to the overall bond. Welcome to The Empire Show. My name is Bedros Koulian, and this is an inside look. And today we're going to talk to someone who is a pretty cool cat. I started watching him on YouTube, and his channel is called the FNG Academy. And um, he's out here today because later tonight we're doing Squire class number three. And we've got 40 dads and 40 sons. And what's really cool about this scenario is that um, one of the particular young men in the class, his mom had reached out to me and asked me if uh, there's any way she could participate in it with him. And because we said, well, no, not really. You know, we need a male figure. Does he have an uncle? Does he have a granddad? And the answer was no. So I reached out to this guy and I was like, hey man, could you be like a surrogate dad, older brother uh, figure for this guy? And he said, yes, and he's out here and I'm just fascinated with what he's doing and excited for him. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sean Buck Rogers, welcome. Thanks brother. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. First off, thank you for your service. Um, like many of our friends uh, that have been on the Empire Show, you've served our great nation and I appreciate you for that. Um, and I appreciate you for stepping in for young Malachi tonight. I yeah. appreciate you having me do that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's more of an opportunity for me, in all honesty. And I, I told Malachi when we talked, he said, oh, thanks for doing that, man. I was like, thank you. Like, this is just as much as experience for me as it is for you. Yeah. You know, that's, it's so cool. And yeah, I told my wife about it, and she was like, that's going to be amazing. Like, you, you, should be, you should feel so blessed that this opportunity was provided. So Right on, man. appreciate you for that. So, um, so you were, you, 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 were, you were a Green Beret and you're currently a creator on YouTube and FNG Academy is a freaking awesome channel and thank, and thank God for the way that YouTube's algorithm works. And I was watching my friend um, uh, John Lovell, Warrior Poet channel. Mm, and I was like, oh, channel. if you like John, you're gonna love this guy. And I was like, holy smokes. That's great, cool. great content. I love the quality of how you, the, the quality in which you shoot that blue background, very uh, kinky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I wonder if freaky shit happens back there. Yeah. Oh, of course it does. Um, and, and so anyway, we'll, we'll take a tour of, of, of that part of your life and how you're transitioning into an entrepreneur. Um, but I wanted to kind of get to talking because you've shared uh, in your book and on your YouTube channel about you know, the young Sean growing up and, mm. you know, the disadvantages that you had and how you had to course correct in life. So where were you raised and how, how did this whole thing, how did young Sean come about? So I was raised in Feeling, California, um, which since we're in California, we're going to stop uh -huh. by there tomorrow, get some footage of it just because it's been... Where is that? Northern California? Uh, Southern. Southern. Yeah. So it's like on your way to San Bernardino County, like on your way to Vegas, you'll yeah. pass by it. Okay. So it's just out in the desert, desert town. Gotcha. Um, but it's like the roads, I have to always explain this because it, it's such a weird place. Like the roads are super washboardy. Yeah. And you're just, 
all the houses are miles deep into these like dupe super mm. washboard dirt roads so we're kind of out just doing our own thing you know like people just stay away from us um lots of meth you know cooking out there i was just gonna ask you is this like one <laughs> so, of those kind of every now and again a trailer blows up yeah okay. yeah that's exactly what we don't know why it's just spontaneously combust sure you know but these things happen. so that's where i'm from and um you know my dad left when i was one and my mom and i got into a car accident together and she was doing like 60 miles an hour down one of these dirt roads because i tell people all the time there's two ways to drive on those washboard roads really really slow or extremely fast and if you go fast and you'll skip right over them and it's not just rattling you to pieces, you know? Huh. So she opted uh, for fast all the time. And we were doing about 60 uh, down this dirt road and a car pulled out and we T-boned him. And- uh, how, how old were you when this happened? So I was probably like five or six. Okay, so you, you kind of remember it. Um, I saw nothing at all from the- Really? Yeah, from the accident. Okay. So my face, I didn't have a seatbelt on. Um, my face hit the front windshield and there's actually, the, the windshield had an imprint like that from my face wow. of just broken glass. Um, so I, I smashed, I had a, my tooth. When I woke up in the hospital, my tooth was like through my lip and my face was a little messed up and I had to get stitches and stuff. But that was for me was kind of the point when I remember things really changing for my mom. Um, she injured her back and then all of a sudden she's on all these uh, doctor, you know, all these medications and things like that. And um, she just never got out of bed and she just, the opioid addiction like crushed her. It, it completely changed who she was. So Did she, she develop an addiction to Oh it? yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, we, I've, I've been standing in doctor's offices with them arguing at each other and like him telling her to get out or she's gonna, he's gonna call the police. Um, and then we would go to different doctor's offices and do that until I watched doctors like legitimately get so tired of dealing with her that they would just write her prescription to get wow. rid of her. So gotcha. she, she always put, you know, her addiction before us, so. Yeah, I well, addiction is powerful. I yeah. mean, it gets you on every level. Um, did she, has she ever tried getting off those opioids? Not that, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, I, think, I think one of the, the hardest things for her, you know, throughout her life is that she, she adopted the victim mentality. Yeah. And so it's always someone else's fault. You know, if my dad only paid child support if if this didn't happen or if that didn't happen it's just always on somebody else and unfortunately until you know she learns to stop doing that and take some responsibility she's just going to be stuck in the same cycle and sure you know i'm 34 years old and she's been you know doing this stuff since i can remember right you know so i don't see it change anytime soon yeah has uh has your dad been active in your life since they divorced no so it was kind of a weird thing that happened right because i didn't know him at all from one to, I think I met him when I was like 14. Whoa. Yeah, so my, what my mom used to do is tell us that um, he was this evil person and she always threatened us. So we we're scared of everybody. Cause you know, sometimes people be like, well, why don't you tell somebody you had all this abuse going on um, with the boyfriends and stuff. And it's like, I have an older brother and a younger sister, a half sister. Yeah. And when my mom, She's always telling us if Child Protective Services comes, they're going to take your sister and who knows what's going to happen to her in those halfway houses. Mm. And they're going to split you guys up. And you're never going to see each other again. And what if your sister gets molested in one of these halfway houses because, you know, you told Child Protective Services and they take her away. So we're, we're always living in a constant state of fear of everybody else. 
Um, and it was the same for my dad. My dad was this evil person who's going to take us away, and he's just this you know horrible human being. And then finally, at about 14, I was like, I was like, listen, anything has got to be better than you. I want to talk to him. And she said it like a threat, and she called him, and he answered, and then he flew out to California, and I met him for the first time. Really? And, yeah. and what was your impression of him having been, having had this narrative set yeah. by mom for all those years? What was your impression of him when you met him for the first time? <coughs> I liked him. I respected him a lot. He was a, a successful business owner. I mean, he had a restaurant out in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fredonia, New York, and it was just this cool place. We ended up going and visiting him, and it was wild, to, you know, to grow up so poor, and then to know that, and like, you start to feel that your 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 lineage is just this poverty and and shit, basically, right? right. Like I'm just this white trash kid, and um, you know, everyone looks down on me because I have no money and I'm dirty, uh, and to then all of a sudden, like, this is my dad. And he has a restaurant and people are respecting him and like uh, treating him like he's this hot shot. I'm like, what's happening? But it felt really good. It was like, it felt for the first time that I could be proud of, you know, my a parent. Yeah. And so I thought that was a cool experience. Did that do anything for your self-esteem once you realized, yes. hey, my dad's somebody that's respected? Yes. It, it felt like, okay, which is weird, right? You think that, you know, it's on you. Like your life is on you. You have a, a new start, but you really do pull a lot of that from your parents, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and to watch my mom just do terrible things to people and to always act in this horrible way. Um, it made me feel like, you know, I don't come from anything. So how could I produce something better than myself? And then to see him. Yeah. It was in my head as a youngster, like I do have some success lineage, you know, and, and so I do have that in me and I could do better than than what she's doing. Yeah, that that right there, what you're saying, man, and what you're sharing is massively powerful because oftentimes people accept the narrative that's put on them by their mom or by the kids who bully them or whoever, maybe grandparents, you know, adopted them. And so grandparents say, you know, you're, your mom and your dad were deadbeats, whatever, and I've, we've seen all that. And this becomes almost like a blueprint. Well, if I come from a group of losers, or if I, if I just have this, I'm only meant to be white trash or druggy or a loser, you begin to act it out. You almost begin to then unfold that blueprint in your life. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden you meet someone and you're like, holy crap, like I come from someone who's respected, someone who able, was able to create his own personal economy, Wait a minute, maybe I have that in me as well. Absolutely. I might have this, but I also have that. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a powerful thing. Do you have a relationship with your dad now? So that was, that was a weird thing. So I, I ended up deciding after visiting him, I was like, this is a way better life. You know, because my mom, her boyfriends were nuts. Like my, at one point, you know, uh, I watched her get her head slammed into a wall so hard I thought he killed her. Holy smokes. Um, she was out. How is she? Uh, this is, uh, you know. I'm asking you in hindsight. Yeah. How is it that she, because you said her boyfriends, mm-hmm. plural. So I'm guessing there was a pattern of shitty men coming through yes. into your life, your sister's life, your older brother's life. Looking back, how do you think that she was picking her men? <clears throat> just whoever crossed her path. It's just like within that, you know, shit storm that she's creating, uh, other people who get are drawn to that drama uh 
you know, they find comfort in it. And sure. it's like these like-minded people just connect. So relatable, relatable people, people who are addicts. Absolutely. People who have lower standards of expectations of themselves. Right. Right. Like attracts like. You know, because one of them was an alcoholic. One of them was, uh, you know, meth. Whew. Um, i trying to think if there's any outside of those ones. But it, there was always some form of addiction with the boyfriends. You know, so I think that they, they just shared that commonality and fed off each other. Sure. Probably then, codependent relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then so my mom started with the, the pills, but then she met a guy who's an alcoholic and then she mixed those together. And I think that she found that she could stretch out her pills by adding the alcohol to mm -hmm. it. And then now she was she's drinking like nonstop, you know, and oh. then taking the pills on top of it. So it was just. Yeah. It was a mess. And then, you know, the manipulation, she was always going after everybody and because everyone owes her, right? So now she's, you know, trying to attack everyone around her for what they should be giving her. So, but I went to visit my dad mm -hmm. and uh, I was like, I'm definitely leaving this and I'm going to that. That's a way better life. Yeah. Now you were 14 at that point when you talked to him. Yep. How soon after did you meet him? Uh, so pretty, pretty shortly after. So I think like all in all is like 14 to 15, like that t from the time I turned 14 or I mean, sorry, was 14 turned into 15. Got I ended it. up moving out. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. Gotcha. He came out, visited. He's like, you guys need to come to New York and see how we live. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah. I went to New York and we're sitting on the front porch. And I'll never forget it. Even though I was 14 or 15, he hands me a glass of whiskey and, uh, gives me a cigar. And he had Cubans. He's like a huge fan of Cuban cigars and he's got hundreds of Cubans. And um, he said, and you know, he owns a bar, so he's got, he, he loves whiskey. Mm -hmm. And he handed me a glass of whiskey and, you know, most people might look down on that, but to be treated like a man, you know, and to be given a little respect and, mm -hmm. um, and to know that this is family, this is, you know, like I said, this is my lineage. I was like, this is it. So I sipped whiskey, smoked a cigar with him. And I told him on that porch, I was like, I'll be back. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get back because obviously my mom's not going to let me go, but I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get back here. And, um, and so that's what I did. Gotcha. So before we, before we go to your eventual move to going back to uh, New York, uh, I'm curious because again, we're, you, you look at the nation, man, it's like over 50% of marriages now end in the divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, and just because mom and dad divorced doesn't mean dad's not active in a child's life, male or female. Um, but the odds are they're not there on a day-to-day -to, -day to influence. Right. Right. And then you look at of the other 50% that are still together, those dads, most of them, from just what I could tell anecdotally, seem pretty checked out. Checked out, into their own shit screen sucking on social media and we see youth growing up and the youth is unclear in their own personal direction and their own life's mission and their purpose um, any of that uh, so they might lean into drugs into violence into bad grades into whatever um, the vice might be and so <clears throat> I I'm just curious in, in your scenario you know, mom and dad weren't together, and all of a sudden these boyfriends are coming through. 
And you're seeing one boyfriend, you said, smash mom's head so hard into a counter. What was it? Yeah, he slammed her into a wall. To and a her wall. head bounced off the wall. And right. she just collapsed at that. Yeah. I thought like, what's was... running through your mind as you're seeing this? I thought, I thought honestly that the, he was going to kill her. If not right then, if it didn't just happen, I could see it in his face that that was his intention when he got that drunk. Yeah. Was he, he disconnected from her being a person. Wow. She was an annoyance to him. And obviously she's, you know, they're every Sunday. So in that household, every Sunday was the same. They'd have a barbecue and he'd start blaring Tom Petty, the best of Tom Petty. Yeah. And God, he's Tom Petty's so good, but I can't listen to it. I was going to say, good choice of music, but it's probably <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. for it. Yeah. So he started blaring Tom Petty. It'd be noon and they start drinking. And at first you're like, and he's cooking. I was like, this is a new cool thing. Her new boyfriend, maybe not so bad. Right? We're doing barbecues like normal people. Yeah. And then by five o'clock, six o'clock, they're hammered. And now all of a sudden they're arguing. Then plates are being thrown at each other. Then tables are getting flipped. Jesus. And then they just keep drinking through these fights. And it just keeps escalating and escalating. So you try to stay away, you know, stay in your room, lock the door. And then you could just hear like the house being destroyed, you know, and them like fighting each other. And then at some point you feel, and this is kind of a sad realization that I literally just had, which it just sucks, is that as a kid, you know, whether it's, it was happened so many years, 10, 11, 12, I, you feel all of a sudden and realize that you are the most aware, conscious uh, person in the room. You are the only one that is maintaining any level of uh, normalcy or, or you know, so you feel obligated to go out and try to stop the constant progression of this fighting or at least intervene from him killing my mom. Mm -hmm. So we would go out and get, try to get involved. And in this particular instance, she was going to leave and she was smashed. So he was like, you're not going to drive. So he tells my brother, he's like, take her keys and throw them outside. So me and my brother are both like just trying to get them to stop fighting. We obviously don't want her to go, you know, drive right now right. and crash her car. So my brother throws the keys and she goes, I'll just go find them. And she goes to push past him to go outside and he just grabs her and then slams her. Boom. And her head bounces off the wall. She hits the ground and her eyes just roll back in her head. And I look at my brother and I was like, she's dead, dude. And we start shaking her and she won't wake up. And I look up at him and he just looks at her like he doesn't care at all. It was like, he was almost like he was happy about it. And he looks at her and then he just, with disgust and he just turns and walks away. Mm. And she's still unconscious. So we're, we're, you know, trying to wake her up. And then luckily she came too. But that was a moment when I was like, this dude's, this guy's going to kill her. And how old were you in that moment? Uh, I was, <clears throat> dates are tough for me because I really blacked yeah. out a lot of that. But I was probably like 10 to 12. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's a time when our brains are still forming. And you began to, I'm guessing you were always walking on eggshells, waiting always. for the next shoe to drop yep. and, and always in a state of fight or flight. Yes. Because I, I can relate to that. Um, I didn't have a slew of boyfriends come through my parents' house. My dad was just angry when we first came to the United States and um, things weren't unfolding the way we thought they would. Um, so I can remember actually having to make sure my feet um, I would wear socks that would slide easier on the, the lolium floors 
at one of the Section 8 housings we lived in. And when I would turn the doorknobs of the restroom, I would turn slowly and you kind of push it in so it doesn't squeak because one little noise from me or the doorknob or the door closing could trigger mm. uh, an all-on thing. So I, I can relate to what you were feeling, um, which kind of tells me the direction that you went. Because then you, you go to one of two directions. You either end up being a predator like that or you become a protector uh, and provider. Um, <clears throat> so... What, what, what kind of dialogue, if any, were you having with your brother and your sister at that time? Because you're, you're the middle kid and you're like, what right. the fuck? Yeah, so my brother, my sister, we tried to just shield her as much as we could. Um, and luckily, she, from what I could tell and, you know, paying attention, she, they didn't focus on her, yeah. you know? And I think, I think partly because I think my mom actually, like, tried to protect my sister. And then my brother and I were just to targets sure so likely we just took a lot of their efforts um but me and my brother you know there was a time when i just hugged him and we're not hug you know hugger people like really emotional me yeah. and my brother about what we were going through because we felt like we were just fighting to to stay alive and to you know keep pushing through but there's one time when we're at this another boyfriend's house and i just hugged him and started crying and he's like He's like, I, you know, I got it. You know, I got you. Hmm. How much older than you is your brother? Two years. Two years, you said. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Uh, are you in contact with your brother now? How's yeah. your relationship? There? Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was tough on him, right? Because he's the having to be a protector and yeah. you know take on that role was a lot of responsibility, and unfortunately. You know, he's still he's still struggling to try and figure out like what his place is, you know. And sure. I think um from the best that I could tell, if I had to like, you know, sit him down and tell him what I think is kind of troubling him a little bit. Not that he's doing bad, you know, he's working really hard. He's he just got into um mixed martial arts to try and get offload some of his aggression mm -hmm. and you know, his frustrations. But would I just think that his uh, his desire to protect us Eventually, we didn't need protecting anymore. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like he found people that did. And so he kind of always had himself involved in relationships where people were tripping and falling. And he would always, you know, well, I got to be there for this person. Oh, they need me. Sure. And, um, and then they just kind of kept him in this, you know, stagnant state. And he yeah. never really figured out how to move forward. There's a lot of truth to that. You, you actually nailed it. And what ends up happening is what happens in our formidable years when we're young, and we realized, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, this is what I did. I had to protect my younger brother, younger sister, my mom the best I could, look after them. And when you guys move on, his sense of purpose hmm. begins to diminish. And so you go and you look for, literally might end up finding another addictive person who's got a turbulent life that's unpredictable, et cetera, so that you're always the man on the white horse galloping in to save the day. It creates mm -hmm. a pattern. Um, and it's interesting because probably from the outside, you see it, you notice it. I'm curious whether he's caught on to that. Have you ever shared that with him? Like, hey, I think this is what might be going on. I put it in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he read it. <laughs> and I, I think he yeah. read it. Um, yeah. He told me he read it. But, uh, you know, it's it's still... That part, 
that our relationship right now is is a little bit strange because we're brothers we love each other we have a good relationship but at the same time this you know what i'm doing with my life especially now because it's talking about our past and it's bringing all that back up um and then it it's just it's polarizing us a little bit yeah and so it, it makes it tough because before when we were together you know fighting because we would fight like when we started you know hitting 15 16 i would go out and visit and um you know I will, we'll let loose you, you know someone badmouthed my brother then we were we're throwing hands and we're getting into some serious fights like so there were points that uh, I, i've seen people at parties we were at and my brother would walk out and i'm like where are you going and and there would be a fight and a dude got hit and passed out got knocked out yeah he ruptured his spleen he almost dies the cops get called the owner goes to kick some of the people at because he's just feeling people i mean they, there's a lot of gangs people don't play around you know and um the owner of the house goes to kick out everybody of the party well some of the guys at the party didn't like to get kicked out so they start jumping him and they're stomping his face holy smoke you know and and i saw like the lights from the cop car hit his face like when they finally broke up couldn't even recognize him anymore so but i guess what i was getting at is when we were doing that together like yeah. we were both kind of in unison about our direction and so we had so much more in common in common right and right. we were fighting together yeah. you know yeah and now it's like it's my path is just going off on this direction that it's almost hard to to have that connection as much as we used to things aren't as relatable yeah right yeah yeah and, and that's that's normal um I think our viewers know this. I'm not the most uh, Bible-ish type of person, but in the Bible, they call that. Maybe at one point you guys were equally yoked, and now you're not. Um, and that's no fault of your own. You've chosen to take uh, one path, and he's chosen to take or stay on another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens. And I can tell you from personal experience, life comes to us in phases. And just, you know, it's, it's just a phase of life. Um, but as you're now talking about and unearthing all this on your YouTube channel and in your book, um, yeah, I could see how that might create some tension, some polarizing effect in your relationship with your brother. Has your mom reached out to you about that and been like, hey, what the fuck? What's going on? Why are you talking about this? Oh, yeah. Well, she, she her reaching out is just threats, you know. Still? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, uh, the last I heard from her was, I haven't talked to her in like a decade. And uh, the last I heard it was my brother was, I was on the phone with my brother and he goes, oh, uh, Jeanette's calling her mom. And he puts it on speaker and it was just like slurring, incoherent. Now I'm going to own him for everything he has. And I, I'm going to take his house and I'm going to, I can't wait to be living in his house. And so she's, she's just still attacking and she's just still trying to, she just, the minute somebody has anything, she just goes after him with everything she has, Mm. you know, in this like, uh, you know, animalistic, aggressive, you know, low way. It's, it's not even like, think about that. You're my mother talking about wanting to take, I have two daughters, your granddaughters that I've provided a great life for. And that is the biggest pride of my life. And you want to kick them out of their house so you could live in it. Mm. Like what kind of person thinks that way? But that's the kind of things that comes into her head. And she just thinks that you know, now because I'm, you know, finding success in a way that's 
people, you know, it's in on social media, things like that, you know, and not just keeping it to myself. Yeah. Um, that somehow I owe her now. And it's like, are you crazy? You didn't buy my house. You didn't pay for this. You didn't work for this. Like, I'm sorry that you've never put yourself in a position where you could own your own home. But just because I did does not mean that I owe it to you or that you, you just somehow come take it, mm -hmm. you know? And that mentality just blows my mind. But you see it so often. Yeah. People are, they, they just love being victims. Yeah, it's prevalent. Well, because being a victim is celebrated now, especially now in 2020, 2021. And the more that people can play the victim card and check all those handicap boxes of, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, their minorities, uh, the, the, the more boxes that can be checked that I'm a victim, the more they're celebrated and they'll accept any attention over just positive attention. Like mm -hmm. negative attention is not something that's coveted normally, but it's become this thing that's coveted and looked for. And. Uh, people wear it as a badge of honor today, but I, I think we talked about this at lunch. I think it's just, it's the 90s all over again with social media amplifying political correctness. Uh, but that aside, so you, did you at some point move to live with dad? Yes. So, and that was a hard, that was a crazy situation. So I, I basically had to, I knew I had to like <clears throat> escape. Yeah. So what I did was I went back to the house and I was like, I started packing my stuff, but I didn't want her to know. So I started, you know, leaving a mess in my room, but then packing the stuff I wanted and hiding it in the closet. Yeah. And then once all my stuff was packed, I called my cousin was like, hey, I'm going to need a place to hide out for a little bit. You know, will you help me? Like, obviously, I'll need a ride to the airport. I, you know, I can't drive and all these things. And she's like, yes, yeah, so, you know, whatever you need, I'll, I'll help you out. I was like, sweet. So that's in line. And then I called my dad. I was like, OK, I need a ticket. And he goes, well, first. They're, the cops are just going to bring you back. So you need to figure out what they're going to need to not bring you back. Because I used to run away from home all the time. You know, Where it, would you run to? Where would you go? If I had family members. Yeah. And that's the sad part about it is like my Uncle Ricky is a, a, an amazing dude. And he was always like, I'd love for you to come live with me. Like you could always come live with me. But we can't because the minute we go, she just calls the cops and the cops are there within the first day. And they bring you back. Get in the car. She's got custody. Yeah. You can't run. You can't just go live with whoever you want. And so we played this game. So I would go and I'd live the the one night of peace. And I'm like, man, I'd just love to stay here and just live a normal life. And then, you know, but your stomach's always in knots because sure enough, t within 24 hours, there's a cop car pulling yeah. around the corner to pick you up. Wow. So, <clears throat> so I said that uh, my cousin said she gave me a ride to the airport. I called my dad. He's like, I'll get you a ticket, but you got to figure out what you're going to need to do sure. to not get called back. I say, okay. So I called the police in New York and I said, what do I need for you guys to not take me back to my mom? And he was like, uh, I would, he's, I would not take, let them take you back or I would not pursue this. If she called, if you had a letter giving, uh, your dad custody because he's your parent, you know, and he's not a stranger or family member, he's your parent. If you could just get her to sign something saying, I'm releasing custody to, to Joe, he's like, I'm telling you just, you know, for me, I won't, I won't pursue it. Right. I was like, okay, what do you want it to say? And he goes, have it say this. So I wrote it out. And I was like, all right, now I got to get now her to you're sign. 15 as this is happening. Still, yes. Right? Because I had just come back from dad's house. Yep. You're like, holy fuck. Gotta get we, 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 we smoked a cigar. I drank yep. whiskey. He treats me like a man. Yeah. I've got this awesome lineage in me. And so you're at, literally asking this cop in New York, like, hey, tell me what to write. And yep. you're, you're transcribing it. Yep. Awesome. I fucking love that. A problem solver. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, look, I got to get the <clears throat> fuck out of here. What do yeah. I got to do? So he's like, so I write this thing down and I'm, re I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at this note. Like, 
there's no way she's going to sign this. And so I was like, what do I do? So the first attempt, as I, I took a school note and then I cut out the signature block <laughs> and then I had it underneath and I was like, oh, I'll just fool her into signing it, yeah. uh, which would have not worked. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out this way. But so I handed the, the thing and it was on a book and, it, you know, with the uh, school note over top and the signature block cut out. And she looks at it and immediately sees that it's cut yeah. out. <laughs> she's like, she's like, what the hell is this? And I was like, damn it. Uh, and so she lifts it up and she reads it and she just starts laughing. She goes, I'll never have to sign that and throws it at me. And I was like, well, plan B. And I was like, I know that she is 99% her emotions all the time. So I was like, I don't want to live with you anymore. I'm done. Like, you need to sign that and let me go and, and leave me alone. And so she starts cussing at me and doing her, you know, thing where, which looking back is just so bizarre how normal it is, like, for two people, a son and a, a um, you know, mo mother to just curse at each other and call each other names. Like mm -hmm. that was normal, like F you, you like, I could imagine my kid talking to me like that. And, right. and I'm ashamed that I talked to her like that, but we would both go back and forth. She's cussing at me, I'm cussing back. But I was like, you know what? This is my chance. I'm gonna get her so mad that she just says, screw it and see if she'll sign it. And that's, and it worked. Really? She's like, you know what? Give me that effing note and I'll sign it. Doesn't mean shit anyway. So I give her the note. You know what this reminds me of, I gotta tell oh. you. You know, when um, Wiley Coyote is constantly trying to catch the Roadrunner, and every time he sets up like a little trap, yeah. it, it fails, right? <laughs> so like, the, the first one fails, like, fuck. <laughs> but, but one day that Roadrunner's gonna get caught. Yeah. For you, the second attempt, yeah. you're like, you got it. I got it. Good yeah. for you, that's awesome. Man. So she that. finally <laughs> signed it, and uh, she's like, this doesn't mean it's shit anyway. So then I put my plan in place. And she doesn't know I'm leaving though. She has no idea I have flights, none of it. She just thinks I, she's signing a piece of paper and I'll go back to my room and, and let it go. Well, middle of the night, I was out. Um, and then I had to hide out for a couple of days. Obviously she found out I was leaving. She had the cops looking for me everywhere. I was in mm. hiding. Um, and then my cousin gave me the ride to the airport. As soon as I get to New York, uh, my dad's like, cops have already been called. We need to go to the station. I was like, damn, I can't win, you know? And we go to the station and, and I could hear her yelling at the cop through the phone and he's nah, 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 nah. And, uh, I was like, what about my note, man? Like I got the note. That was my thing. You told me to get the right. note. I got the fucking note. Yeah, I got yeah. the note. And uh, he's like, wait a minute. And he reads the note and then he goes, ma'am, did you sign a note saying that uh, you're giving custody to Joe? And I could hear her say, yeah, but that don't mean shit. And he goes, thank you, ma'am. Click. Yeah. I hung up on her. I was like, yeah. <laughs> And then I just staring at him and I was like, I could have hugged that cop. And my dad's like pulling on me. He's like, let's get out of here before yeah, he changes yeah. his mind. And we left and that was it. That is nuts, man. So <laughs> uh, uh, how long did you live with dad? And what was the influence he had on you post 15 years old once you get there? So I only lived with my dad for probably a year and a half yeah. to two years. Um, and he had a big influence on me because he, he had like I was flunking out of school, like all my grades were F's. I was doing terrible. I was, I was like probably the only kid that failed gym. Yeah. You know? Um, well, now you know another. Yeah. Did you fail gym? I did. I did. I did. I, they were just making me walk the track. I was, <laughs> I was such a bad fucking. Yeah. 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 And then every day he'd be like, where are your shorts? I'm like, I don't have any shorts. Exactly. Like, what do you want me <laughs> yeah, to do? Yeah, yeah. I can't pull You're them out of my trash ass. and I'm a foreigner, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how that happens. Like, what do you, <laughs> yeah. you, all right, coach, you go buy me some fucking shorts and I'll wear them. <laughs> exactly. My mom doesn't care. She's not buying me anything. Right. So, uh, what was I saying? Uh, year and a half with dad. Oh, and yeah, the influence sorry. that he had on you. So year and a half with dad, and the influence. 
so I go from failing to all of a sudden he's got these like, oh, you won't hopefully graduate high school. That's how everyone talked to me. Like, oh, if you could only graduate high school. It was like graduating high school was this pinnacle thing that if mm. I could just do that, I would be a rising star. That's what the feeling mindset was. Mm. And it was like, you're, you're not, you're, right? you're making it very clear that you're not. But if you just graduated high school, and it, and it was so crazy to think, to look back. But then I move in with my dad and he goes, if, <laughs> when you graduate high school, because you will graduate high school, and what college are you going to go to? You better figure this shit out now. And I was like, he just, he spoke with such like confidence and, and uh, definiteness. Mm -hmm. Like you will, like there's no question. If you're going to live in this house, like these are what normal people do. What a difference <clears throat> in the way your dad spoke to you with confidence, being so definite, conviction versus the kind of explosive, emotionally reactive mm -hmm. way that mom spoke to you. Like the bar was set low. Right. It feeling, and then dad's like, what do you mean if, dude? You're, it's when, and right. then what's next is college, so you better start figuring that out. Right. Was that a just complete like, holy fuck, man, maybe if he has this much confidence in me, then maybe I can do it? Or was it like, oh, he's out of his mind? He's no, like, he normalized it. He normalized it. And that was the, it was mind blowing for me because my mind says, I can't graduate high school. I'm not good at classes. I don't, yeah. I'm not good at this. And then when he said, no, you will, it changed my, my mindset to, it doesn't matter if I'm good at it. I have to do it because he expects me to. And quite frankly, he's terrifying, dude. Like he's a burly uh, dude. His anger is beyond, uh, I'm an angry person. His anger is insane. Hmm. You know, at the bar, one of his uh, bar managers pissed him off and like had a, they had a Christmas party or some kind of party. He drank the alcohol and didn't pay for it. And my dad found out he went and found him in a coffee shop and slammed him through the fucking table in the coffee shop, in public. Like, you're in downtown of Fredonia, and he picks his bar manager up and slams him through the table, and, the, and just like he's allowed to do that. Like, he owns that bitch. Like, his temper is insane. Oh, fuck. Gangster. So, yeah, and I found out the hard way, you know, not to fuck with him. He said the one night he was like, I was like, I'm going to go out tonight. He goes, all right, be back by 10. I was like, okay, I don't know if you know me, but no one ever tells me to be back by anything. No right. one gives a shit what I do. I right. just go do it. And then when I get back, I get back. If I get back, you know, sometimes I don't come back. Right. And I got back at one in the morning after going to a party and he was waiting there. And my buddy, I was like, just crash at my place. And he's like, all right. He looks at my buddy and like, I could see fucking fire coming out of his eyes. And, he, and my buddy's like, I'm leaving. And immediately like takes off and my dad just comes after me and he launches me over uh, a recliner i land on my back and he's just on top of me starts punching my legs and i was like this dude ain't fucking playing <laughs> like, holy fuck like he put a beating on me um and i deserved it and from that point you know he was reserved like he wasn't he wasn't like whooping my ass you know like a man yeah but he was letting me know like i will fucking destroy you yeah and from that point on, um, like one instance, I was at school and this dude wanted to fight me and he punched me in the face. I pinned him down. I was like, any, any other time I would fucking wail on you. I was like, but I'm more afraid of my dad than I have, you know, mm -hmm. than you. So I just let him go and I bounced. And yeah. uh, when I told my dad, he was like, 
why don't you kick his ass? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You're like, fuck, man, I can't get it right. Yeah. But, but you know what? Let's, 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 let's take a break there for a second, and, and, and I just want to deconstruct something. Now, people watching this is like, man, poor guy. He was abused by mom and dad. <clears throat> let, let me just share something, and if I'm wrong, correct me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share it from my lens, from my perspective. Mom abused you. Mom was abusive. Very dad set you straight. Yep. Dad set you straight. And it, 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 it may not make sense to you guys watching and listening to this if you've had the fucking leave it to beaver life. Um, but a young man who has been off the path needs rough and tumble guidance at times, in addition to love and respect, which if you overlooked, when you went to visit dad in New York, he's like, here's a whiskey, mm -hmm. here's a cigar, yeah. Like, that's how men show respect. And you're like, holy fuck. Like, I feel respected. I feel acknowledged. Yep. Like, this dude sees me as a man and not a child, not a kid, not a liability. Uh, but when he was like, hey, man, you're living at my house. Be home at 10. And you're like, oh, let me tell you how we do it at Feeland. He was like, let me tell you how we do it here, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, right? Yep. And, and sometimes that's needed. I mean, when you see the papa lion take a swipe at its cub and the cub tumbles over and then gets up and it's got a little blood under its eye, it's best that papa lion do that because out in the fucking Serengeti, when that little cub becomes a, a male adolescent lion, it'll get fucked up if it makes that move with the wrong pride. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's just how it is. This is the fucking wild kingdom still. Um, and I, and I think people have, have it twisted when they think that everyone needs to grow up like Leave it to Beaver and that, you know, you had a life of abuse by dad. I, um, I, I can respect what your dad did just as much as I can respect what my dad did and being heavy-handed with me at times um, because he knew that we already came to the United States and we're the underdogs. They're yelling at us, telling us, you're a fucking foreigner, go back to your own country, you're taking all of our jobs, you don't speak English. And the um, last thing he wanted us to do is to get in trouble and then therefore confirm that we're just fucking low lives to all those people who were just waiting for us to do something wrong. Um, yeah, I respect what your dad did, man. So in, in that way, I mean, I don't know what else happened, and so I can't fucking talk to them. No, and, and I, <clears throat> I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, I respect him for that. Like, we don't talk now, um, you know, because we just fell out and yeah. the relationship yeah, that kind happens. of... And yeah. that happens, yeah, but I don't have... I don't have any resentment towards them and that that ass whooping i shouldn't like it with all due respect to people who have had their ass well I've, I've had my ass actually whooped you know losing fights that wasn't an ass whooping it was but it was a show of force yeah but that ass whooping was the best thing that happened yeah it was the it set me down the right path and from there on to fear somebody other than the law changed everything for me yeah the law ain't touching you the law like it's so easy to stay within the confines yeah. of the law you could still be a complete train wreck and not break the law true enough you know true enough so at what point do do, do you end up going to college after high school well, you graduated yeah. high school i imagine so yeah so he <clears throat> my dad ends up moving he's like we're going to colorado and i was like i'm not going i was like i'm gonna stay here and he's like fuck you are and i was like no this is where i put my foot down you got me on the right track i'm actually passing my classes I'm not giving that up. I have fucking momentum for the first time in my life towards something positive. Yeah. I owe you that. Thank you. But no, I'm not going with you. I'm keeping that fucking momentum going, and I'm going to see where this takes me. 
and he he lost his shit. He and then he started acting like a dick. He like took all my clothes and everything, and then locked them in the basement. Told him that he told me he gave it all away to uh, uh, donation. He mm. donated all my stuff, and so then finally, he said, "Okay, fine. You want to stay so bad?" Because I went to live with a friend, and then the friend had he called the cops to come bring me back. He's doing the sh- shit my mom was doing. Yeah, but. Then finally he said, okay, if you want to stay, he goes, I'll tell you what, you can stay with family. And the only family that's here is my mom and you haven't even met her. Or you've met her like once. You don't even talk to her. And I don't even think she'll let you stay there. And I was like, if that's the, what, if that's the deal, okay. Got my ass in the car, went down to her house, said, hey, can I stay with you? And she was like, yeah. I was like, thank you. Went and told my dad. She said, yes, peace. You guys have fun in Colorado. And as soon as he left, um, I went and stayed with my friends because she was like 30 minutes from my school. Right. And I was like, that I can't commute like yeah. that, you know. So I went and stayed with my friends. And their senior year, they're chilling because they actually did good in school. And my senior year, I have one day of if I miss, I fail. All my classes are like barely passing. So I'm trying to come back. Yeah. So my senior year, they're partying. I'm fucking buckling down. Working. I'm working. And... Uh, I graduated and I had no family there and it was awesome. The only person that was there was my girlfriend. Her, my girlfriend at the time brought her parents to make it look like somebody came to oh, watch me graduate. That's awesome, man. So, but I was like, I did it, yeah. you know, yeah. on my you. own. I don't fucking, I don't need you to yeah. hold my hand. Yeah. I got it. Let me share something with the audience here. Um, you guys see a pattern here of one, never taking the victim stance. And two, constantly solving problems, getting on the phone with the cops in New York saying, what exactly do I need so that you guys don't take me back to Southern California? And they're like, well, if your mom signed a note, you're like, what exactly does a fucking note need to say? Yeah. And you're transcribing it. And then your dad's like, hey, we're going to Colorado. Nope, I've got momentum. I appreciate that. I'm not going. I'm going to go to school here and keep going. And he's like, well, that's only going to happen if grandma, who doesn't even no, you've seen once, takes you in and jump in a car, you go get the confirmation from grandma, come back, tell dad. The idea of solving problems and never taking the victim stance, if every single one of you watching this and listening to this, just take away those two things. You're never the fucking victim and that solve the problem. Whatever the problem is, solve it. Your life will be exponentially better and you'll end up reaching out to us and thanking us later for it. Um, so you graduate high school, Sean, and do you decide to go to college or do you, do you decide to take the path into the military? No, so then I, I, had, I had no desire to go into the military. Oh. Um, and then I went to college. I was doing uh, sports sports therapy or something like that or, or something sports-wise. I thought it would sound like an easy degree to try. Sure. <laughs> so I signed up for that. Underwater basketball. Yeah, if they had that, I would have signed up for it. But I was just trying to fit the role, right? And, sure. you know, and, and I was on my own. I was like, oh, I'll give the whole college thing a try. Um, didn't like it, dropped out of college and was really just struggling to find what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, from there I tried a couple of things. I was working at sign shops and then, uh, I met a girl who her family kind of like, anyway, they had a ton of money. So it kind of like changed my perspective on, it kind of brought in the horizon of what was possible when mm. you don't have to fucking pay bills anymore. That was a weird thing time but yeah that's a whole nother podcast yeah, yeah. Like, like that was strange right you're going from I, I worked like two jobs to you know have things and pay for gas and go to school now all of a sudden I meet this girl and she's like oh I have 
my parents are rich, so if you want something, just here's a card. And Whoa. yeah, and she's like, you know, always oh, here's a take my car. It's a new car. You can just have a new car, and you know, drive it wherever you need to go. Here's a card. So if you need anything, just swipe that card, and don't worry about anything. It's like you became Cinderella, man. Yeah, it, and it it ruined money for me. Whoa. I was spending so much money. I remember her dad called at one point. I was like, you guys spent five thousand dollars on stuff this last month. You don't even have any fucking bills. He's like, what are you spending five thousand dollars on? And I couldn't tell him. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just swipe your card, dude. Yeah. Like she does it. Like it's not. It's not like I'm trying to take advantage of you. Your daughter just loves spending your money, and you don't stop her. You know. So mm. he would he would call her and be like, "Stop spending money." And she's like, "Okay, we whatever. Yeah. You want to go shopping?" Jeez. It's so like, yes. Yeah. I was like, send it. <laughs> so I ended up losing the. I ended up losing like appreciation for things, yeah. and that was that was kind of messing me up, but. Yeah. Because anyway. it's not earned anymore. It's I, yeah, given. I didn't earn anything. Yeah. I had no yeah. pride in fucking anything. Yeah. Everything was technically his. So I was like, this sucks. Yeah. You know, you, you're devaluing mm -hmm. anything. And that, like, we forget how much we value just uh, uh, something. I mean, something you put effort and money into that you earned, you know, we kind of forget just buying something to have it feel good. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, she we ended up I ended up marrying this girl, uh, and then she cheats on me within a few months. It was like probably like four months we were married, and then she ended up cheating on me. I walked in on it. Damn. Yeah, that was rough. <clears throat> Is it safe to ask like what happens next when you walk in on that? Yeah. So I actually, um, you know, I walk in. Like, do you know the dude? Do you no, not know the no, dude? No, he was a. She was in uh, school, and he was a classmate. So I walk in, and I hear. Uh, what are you doing here? And I was like, the fuck? This is my house. Like, this is our apartment together, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, so she's like, what are you doing here? I was like, that's a weird fucking question. Like, so I walk in and all of a sudden this dude is like cowering in my bed, like covering himself with my blankets and he's naked. And I was like, you motherfucker. So I just lose it and I start punching um, the pictures of us. And I'm just, all I could say, all I could do is scream, she's married and punch all the pictures. And then, um, I look down at my Xbox as I'm punching things, and he's got a different game in my Xbox. That's personal. Yeah, that's what pissed me off. Yeah, that's like, personal. Listen, you know, you take the wife. Yeah. Don't touch my fucking Xbox. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's fucking around. Yeah. You, you took it too far. Yeah. So that pissed me off, so I punched the TV through the wall, and I'm just screaming like, you touch my fucking Xbox. <laughs> if there was cameras on the wall, I would love that footage. I got to tell yeah. you. And uh, we're so fucking irrational as men. Yeah, yeah like right. I can find another pussy. Yeah. But I had the fucking game in there. Yeah. Don't fuck with my Don't shit. Don't touch my yeah. shit. Like, what if you oversaved over my shit? And so then I look. That's when my mind starts shifting. I started getting a little darker with it. And I looked at the the butcher block full of knives. Oh, at first, and then I saw a glass handle of vodka he brought, and I thought, you cheap fuck. So I grabbed the glass handle of vodka and threw it at his head. And then I looked at the butcher block of knives, and I was like. She's like, I'm calling the cops. Once I threw that, she's like, I'm calling the cops. So I was like, I got two options here. I was like, I can grab one of those knives and I could really fucking go to town and, you know, take this all the way. Mm -hmm. I was like, or I could just call it is what it is and, and walk out the door. So I did that. I got in the car and good move. I drove 100 miles an hour, like as fast as the car I can get going down the highway. And I just remember screaming like as loud as I could into the steering wheel. I felt like it, I could almost, if I could just scream myself awake, then I would 
snap out of this reality. And it didn't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was hoping I either crashed or the cops would get me and just save me for myself because I was, I was losing it. Yeah. How old were you when this was happening? Yeah. So I was probably like 21, 22 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens next in your life? So from there, the money goes away, and which felt great. You wouldn't think, you know, money getting out of your so life. So it's like instant divorce. Yes. Okay. So because they had so much money, her, her, I think her father was worried I was going to come after it. Yeah. Uh, he didn't know me very well, apparently, so I didn't want her money. Yeah. So he just made the divorce happen. I never signed anything. I didn't have to do anything. It was just like one day I got divorce papers. So when you have good lawyers, yeah. <laughs> shit moves quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I was divorced, and then um, I had to rebuild. So now I have to, I'm this 20, 22 year old man and I have no idea what finances look like. I don't know how to manage money. Uh, my credit score is like fucking maxed out because all, he pays all my fucking bills all the time. Like I don't know how to manage money anymore. So I max out credit cards, all my credit cards that I, cause I don't, I'm trying to live and I have no job, like real job, you know, I don't know what to do. My credit takes a dump. Um, yeah, I couldn't even eat anymore because I was like, I, I remember the last trip to Subway trying to get sandwiches and I swiped the card and she's like, yeah, Declined. sorry, decline. Jeez. So then I go to the gas station and I grab, this is kind of the low point, was when I grabbed that, you know, 99 cent bag of um, mixed nuts yep. that they had. And I was like, hopefully this goes through. I don't know how overdrawn it is. So I'm trying to squeeze in something to eat with whatever's left on my card. And that was the moment when I was like, I gotta, I gotta fix my shit. I gotta get my shit together. Gotcha. Now it's my time to fucking, you know, make it better. So in the project, um, I talk about a significant life event. I go, if you're here at the project, there's probably a significant life event that's taken place that's brought you here. And there's always that rock bottom, mm -hmm. that event, that experience. And uh, for you, it was that. You're like, I gotta get my shit together. Yeah. And so what does that start looking like when you have that internal dialogue and what do you do the next minute or the next day? So from there, I was like, <clears throat> like you said, problem solve. Okay, so I need to make something, I need a career. I need something I'd be proud of. So I was like, what, what would I be proud of? What would I be happy doing? I was like, firefighter, that would be fun. So I sign up, what do I gotta do to be a firefighter in California? It said, I went on the website, it said, do this, all these classes. And then once you're done with all these classes, you could sign up for the fire academy. And then if you get accepted, you go to the fire academy, then you can get a job as a firefighter. I thought, okay. So I signed up for all those classes. Yeah. So when I start taking all these classes, I'm in a uniform, I feel good. I'm knocking this stuff out. It's like, this feels great. And so I'm just crushing all these classes off the list. The last one I needed to get was EMT school. So I signed up for EMT school and uh, this guy that we share rides to go back and forth uh, to split gas. Well, someone in the class, I don't know, they were like button heads or something. I don't know what happened between them, but he's like 120 pounds soaking wet. And he's like, dude, the dude in the front is like, wants to fight me. I was like, why would he want to fight you? It's kind of random. Yeah. And I was like, no, he doesn't, man. So I get up to go throw my gum out and I throw my gum out in the front of the class and I go to walk back and I look at the guy and he's in the front row to the left. I look at him, make eye contact just to see like, like who, what, you know, and I look at him and he goes, the fuck do you want? And I was like, He's not playing. This guy just wants to fight people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is for real. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, all right. And I was like, well, better me than him. I was yeah. like, you're not going to just beat on this kid, you know, and, yeah. which is just a justification for me to get into a fight. So sure. I was like, I was like, all right, I'll see a break. If you want to fight, we fight. 
So I had, I thought it was too cool for school. So I wore uh, Crocs instead of boots, yeah. like we were, you know, for the uniform. So I said, what's, I told my buddy, I said, what size shoe do you wear? And he's like, a nine. I was like, perfect. Me too. I was like, give me your boots. Yeah. I'm not fighting in Crocs. <laughs> so I put his boots on, went outside. And uh, like an idiot, I take my shirt off. What a stupid move. But in school one time, I actually had somebody do the hockey move on me. Yeah, yeah. And that, that messed me up. And so like, since then, you Since then, I just off. took my yeah. shirt off. So Let me guess, that he, he took advantage of that moment. No, so, no okay. so I had it off before, but then he did this weird thing. I don't know what he was trying to do. He put his nose, like he's like trying to face, face to face me, but yeah, he's yeah. a tall guy. Yeah. His nose touched my forehead. And for, I was like, that's gross, dude. Like, what are you doing? So then I just headbutted him in the nose. Like, if you're going to put it there, like yeah. you're almost just begging for yeah, it, yeah, yeah. you know? So I headbutted his nose and he starts gushing blood. And then his, I guess he was dating this girl in the class. She starts screaming. Oh, God. So this brings the teacher out. And this is where my, my shirt mistake happened because now the teacher, obviously the guy with no shirt, made the bloody guy. You know what I mean? So she's like, you guys are suspended. Jeez. And I was like, that was a moment for me when I was like, I have to stop getting in my own way. Because huh. I, like, I kept deciding to do good and I would start down a good path. But then my habits... And my behaviors would fuck it all up. And I kept ruining opportunities for myself. Jesus. So that was the very next day I walked into the recruiter's office. Were you aware of it in that moment? Like, I'm self-sabotaging right now? Or is this in hindsight now you're aware of it? Hindsight. In the moment, I'm like, what's wrong with the lunch scrap? Right. You know, my mind justified that as like right. a normal thing. I, I mean, he like, is the one that started. He yeah. said, hey, what the fuck are you looking at? We could have a little lunch. And, and the dude was, I mean, we're... He was a down dude. He wasn't trying to snitch on me or nothing. He was like, listen, we, we agreed to fight each other. He told the teacher it was an accident. He just accidentally bumped me. I said it was an accident. So he wasn't being a, you know, a douche mm -hmm. or anything. It was just two dudes trying to scrap in the, at lunch. But it, it made me realize that I can't just keep living. Just because I think this is acceptable behavior does not mean that society is going to find that acceptable. Right. Embrace that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a uh, funny tangent. Uh, I can respect the whole, like, asking your buddy what size shoes he wears and changing out of your Crocs. Several years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I, we, we take the kids to, to Hawaii every year. We just started, I don't know, like 11 years ago. Nice. Uh, for Christmas, because we decided that we're not going to fucking hang out with my depressed family anymore <laughs> in Anaheim and just talk about the fucking heydays and whatever. So yeah. <clears throat> we decided we're going to go to Hawaii every Christmas. And so this is started 11 years ago. So whatever, halfway through these 11 years. We're flying back, and it happens to be like a late-night flight. Like, the flight took off at 11 p.m. from Maui. And so we're about an hour and a half into the flight back to California, back to LAX, and we're over the Pacific. And <clears throat> there's a we're sitting in first class, but it's one of those jumbo mega Boeing whatevers where there's like a whole bunch of first class um, like big, big first class. So there's a dude way up in first class, far left. I'm far right in the back with my son. I always sit in the aisle. My son was next to me. And then across the aisle is my wife and my daughter. Um, but we can see that there's like a whole group of people like opened up. Like they, they got out of their seats and they're, and they're uh, created this giant gap. And there's a dude slamming the back of the headrest of the seat in front of him. And he's yelling at the guy that was sitting there, and I'm going to kill you. And he's doing the gun gesture, and you just wait. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, this is nuts. Yeah. This is crazy. In-flight entertainment. 
in-flight entertainment, <laughs> right? First class thing. That doesn't happen in coach. No, man. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's peaceful in coach, apparently. So we're, we're, I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? And full disclosure, man, like when I go to Hawaii, I, I, we, you know, I always bring my Hilo Hattie, uh, uh, you know, shirts. They have nice little floral patterns on them. And I've got like my board shorts and I wear my, my flip-flops. And so I'm sitting there like, man, this is nuts. I travel for work all the time, like nothing happens. Uh, and then here I am with my family and this is going on, but whatever, maybe he's drunk. And, but I see the flight attendants coming down my side and they got these zip cuffs tethered together. And I stop him, I'm like, hey ma'am, is everything okay? What's going on? She's like, oh, he's a flight risk. I'm like, okay, was that what that's for? Yep. I go, is there anything I can do to help? Uh, she's like, well, we have to ask him. By law, we have to ask him to put these on. I'm like, you're gonna ask that guy going off to put those on? <laughs> Good luck with that. And she goes, yep. And so, so she cuts through the galley and you know, goes in front of him. And I look at the guy sitting behind my wife. No words were exchanged. We just kind of gave each other the nod. Like if shit goes down, we've, yeah. we've got each other. My wife's looking at me like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Right? So my son Andrew's awake. He's just like six, seven years old at this time. And I'm like, hey, buddy, everything's going to be fine. My daughter Chloe's knocked out. My wife's like, what the fuck? I'm like, just be cool. Um, now, God's blessed me with two things. Lots of hair and sweat glands. Um, not a lot of fucking skill and talents. Like everything else is earned, like lots of hair and sweat glands. And so I don't know about you, but when I get nervous, I start fucking sweating a lot. Yeah, my palms get it. Yeah, yeah. So the lady, the flight attendants cut across in front of him and they're like, you know, I can see him gesturing like, hey, you got to put this on. He stands up and he's just foaming at the mouth and going off and we'll blow this fucking plane up. And, and she looks up at me and the guy is like, help. Right. I'm like, OK, now I guess we can intervene. So yeah. I go running up and I had just done this six week challenge with Aaron Weatherspoon. He was at the time he was the welterweight champion, fought in king of the cage. So I'd done like six weeks of MMA fighting with him. And one of the many things he had taught me was the rear naked chokehold. Yeah. And so I get in front of this guy in my head, what's running through my head is like, all right, someone's gonna have fucking an iPhone video of me, the CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp, fighting some dude. And this is gonna be taken out of context and this is gonna be very bad for business. The other part of me is like, this plane can't go down, Yeah. right? And so he's like, what are you gonna do? And he goes to shove me and I get around his arms and get him in a rear naked chokehold. Now, he's taller than me, so I'm like clawing into my fucking flip-flops, but because my feet are sweaty, I'm falling out of my flip-flops and I can't get good traction. So I just keep putting my weight on him and sure enough, the rear naked chokehold works and he's on his, he's hunched over and he's bucking and I'm whispering in his ear like, buddy, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> no one's fucking gonna die, just fucking seat, relax. Seat time. <laughs> yeah, right, like just fucking be cool, yeah. right? But I'm like sliding out of my fucking flip-flops. And so anyway, we zip tie him and everything's fine. We land LAX, uh, LAPD takes him away. Uh, and we got all the wine and hummus and chips that we could eat. Uh, <laughs> we got a plot in it. But, uh, but since then, I fucking lace up my shoes so tight when I'm like PTSD, when I'm on a plane, I'm like fucking laced up. Like I'm not gonna sweat out of my fucking shoes at all. So when, you, <laughs> when you said you swapped out the Crocs for the boots, I was like, okay, I could respect this. <laughs> you know, Dude, you, I gotta start flying first class. Bro, this sounds like a good time. You get to never, use a rear naked choke on somebody? Yeah, I've never had to do anything else. Uh, but that was just fucking weird. But anyway, uh, a lot, lot of respect for that. So you gotta, you gotta have the good, the good fighting kicks. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you just kick them off. I didn't think of it. I wouldn't either. I, I didn't think of it. And uh, it's slick that you got them like. You, you made that decision, like rear naked choke. Yeah. That's the one I'm going to use. Yeah. And then just went right into it. Well, all right. So you can respect this then. 
imagine, so rear naked chokehold, he's hunched over, I'm laying on top of him, right? right? The dude who was behind my wife, he did come to help. In my head, I'm thinking this is post 9-11, so we're all gonna fucking rush the guy and then someone's gonna do the seatbelt thing, right? Like I'm thinking it's gonna be yeah. a dog pile. It's just like me and homeboy and everyone yeah. else is just fucking watching with their fucking iPhones. And so he's got the, the zip ties from, from the older, sweet flight attendant lady and he's trying to jam it between my gut and his back, right? He's like, I can't get it in. And he's trying to move the guy's arms between my gut and his back. And I'm like, what the fuck do you want me to do? I'm trying to like fucking now turtle somehow so I can create gap, but I can't because I don't have the core stability apparently that I, like a, of a yoga instructor. So I'm like, all right, what would Aaron do? He said, downward dog, do downward so, dog. So I transitioned to a guillotine chokehold before he can come to, right? I'm yeah. like, motherfucker, this worked too! Right in my head, I'm thinking, Aaron's gonna be so proud of me because he taught me these things. So I transitioned to a guillotine chokehold. Now he can get his arms around and we zip tie him. But in his panic, he zip tied him so tight. Oof. Now we're sitting in the back rotating guard. Um, he wakes up like every 30 minutes. I, I think he might've been just on some drugs or something. Yeah. He wakes up and he's like, my fucking wrists are bleeding. I'm like, no, they're not. And I look, it's like, fuck. So because we're on an airplane and God forbid there's anything sharp that you could kill anyone with, the flight attendant brings oh, shit. those elementary school blunt uh, scissors yeah. that don't cut. Yeah. And so now I'm cutting his skin oh. as I'm trying to get under the zip tie. So I do more damage than good, but we finally get the zip ties cut, put on looser zip ties. And it was the longest fucking flight ever. Like a five hour flight felt like fucking 15 hours, bro. So not only did you have to fucking tackle the dude, put him in zip ties, now you had to pull guard duty? Yeah, yeah, me and the other guy, like every I'm hour. I'm like, I'm getting paid for this yeah, flight. Like yeah. you guys owe me money for this yeah. flight. And, uh, but, but anyway, just fucking crazy, crazy experience. What a bizarre story. Um, so at this point- You did BJJ instructional. You should have just told him record, and then you could have kept switching to different moves. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that. I only have like three things in my repertoire, so so I had already done like two thirds of my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been like one YouTube video, and that's it. Um, so, uh, do, do do you make it into the fire academy, or was that the end of that career? That was the end of that. So gotcha. it was an advanced EMT school, so you had to. You could only miss two days. So I, she was like, you guys are suspended until an investigation's done. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, how long? I was like, we can only miss two days. And she looks at us and goes, longer than two days. And I was like, oh, there's there the cue. Yeah. So I'm pissed at myself. I knew I just screwed up another opportunity. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I, I'm rough around the edges. I need help. You, you know, I need to tighten this up. I don't know how to do that, but I feel like the Army could help. So that's what I did. The very next morning, I walked into the recruiter's office and was like, hey, man, uh, I want to be a ranger. So if you can just go ahead and give me that contract, that'd be cool. <laughs> <All right>. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And he was like, I was in there for like five minutes, which should have been a cue that, you know, th this guy was just like, that was the best thing that ever like happened. Easy, like, yeah. easy sell. I didn't have to sell him anything. He goes, come back tomorrow morning and I'll see what kind of contract I got for you. And I was like, sweet. And I just like, all I knew was that rangers were high speed, so I wanted to be a ranger. So I came back the next morning, and I was like, what do you got? He goes, good news and bad news. And I was like, all right. He said, I got you the ranger contract, so you go airborne ranger. I was like, I don't care. That's all I wanted. And he goes, bad news is, he's like, you're not infantry yet. He's like, they didn't have any spots for infantry. You got to be a cook. And I was like, an airborne ranger cook? I was like, that's a thing? Like, why would you make a cook a ranger? Like, I don't right. even understand this right. whole military thing. And I was like, well, how long do I got to do that for? And he's like, dude, six months tops. And I was like, oh, I could do anything for six months, but I'll be a ranger. 
because all I knew was that Rangers were high speed. So to me, knowing zero about the military is like, I don't know, maybe I cooked for six months and then I just go over here and start doing combat or something. Sure, makes sense. Yeah, whatever. I don't fucking know. I was in that office for like five minutes. I right. did no research. <laughs> right. And uh, he, I was like, listen, if I have to be cook food for, for guys in the military for a while, I'll do it. Whatever I got to do. As long as they call me a ranger and I get to go through that training because that sounds really cool. And he's like, and all I heard, there's an actual ranger, like ranger tab, ranger scroll guy, recruiter in the back. And he, all I could hear him say is, you're going to be a cow killer. And I was like, the fuck is that? Cow. A cow killer? Cook. <laughs> So I signed a cook contract, and, and that's that's how I started my military career. No kidding. A ranger cook contract. So how do you become a Green Beret then? So like, like what, was the, what was the progression there? Yeah, so I went to ranger selection. I busted my ankle on a ruck run um, real bad. Yeah. So rolled it. Dick Couch, the author, was doing a uh, book on our class. So they really ramped shit up. Got it. Like ranger selection is hard as it is, but like they were fucking turned them evil. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, but it was not, it wasn't them, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and that's how I broke my ankle. Sure. But so I rolled my ankle real bad. I got uh, Achilles tendonitis. It turned black. Uh, I couldn't get my boot off. And so I come limping down the stairs and he looks at my ankle. And he's like, oh shit. He's like, you're done. And so they call me in. They're like, hey man, you know, you're the kind of guy we're looking for. He's like, so when you're healed up, come back. And I was like, okay, I appreciate that. So then I went, um, I went to Bamberg, Germany for 173rd Airborne Unit and uh, got put in a DFAC to cook. And I was like, this is not what I signed up for. Um, I hated it. So then I lobbied to get a different job, which I completely unconventional route. You know, the Sergeant Major kept coming through and I was like, I found out that he needed a new personal security yeah. for the upcoming deployment. So I just went straight, I was a private and I was like, hey Sergeant Major, I want to be your security for the deployment. Like, I need to get the fuck out of this. Now, are you saying this from the other side of the counter? Yes. Yeah. And the first okay. sergeant, the first sergeant was standing next to him, he was absolutely livid. He was like, is this private talking to the sergeant major? Like, he wanted to choke the shit out of Because that's like a no-no. That's a no-no. Like the, the yeah. jumping rank, is that right. what it is? Yeah. Okay. Like, it, it's, especially the sergeant major, all you do is pleasantries, right? Is like, Roger sergeant major, good morning sergeant major. Gotcha. They're busy, you know? They got a lot of shit to do. The last thing you need to be is, you know, dealing with privates. Right. So, first aren't wanted to kill me, but I, all I knew is I had to get out of this job. I hated it. So, meanwhile, I'm also filling out, you know, I'm looking at the needs of the Army list. And if they really need a job that nobody wants to do, you could switch any time. So, I was like, ooh, I was like, I'll sign up for one of those. And one of them was uh, underwater or diving welder or some shit. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Just get me right. out of this kitchen. Right. Right. So you don't he, want to be a cow killer anymore. Yeah, I don't want to be a cow killer. So he ends up giving me uh, the personal security detachment job, which was awesome. I loved it. I just go with the sergeant major to visit people in Afghanistan, all his people, and you know, watch his back, make sure that nobody tries to hurt him, uh, make sure you know, no green on blue, or you know, any Afghans want to you know take him out because yeah. he's a sergeant major. So I loved that. I felt, you know, a lot of responsibility in that. I took a lot of pride in that. And then from there, I was like, well, my ankle healed up. Um, I'm ready to get back in the game. So I felt like special forces selection was more my speed now that I was older by a couple years, you know, a lot. I realized in ranger selection that a lot of the guys were like 18, you know, some of them like 17, 18 years old, because they can't, you can't go SF until you're 21, I think, is it 21? Yeah. So. You know, for the 18-year-olds, they're like, well, if you want to go special operations, you're going to have to go Ranger. You can't go SF yet. 
uh, which is a great route. You know, Rangers are amazing. But it made me realize that I was getting too old for that group. Right. You know, 22, 23. And now it's like, you're going to go back to be all with 18-year-olds? With you look like a, uh, an old man to them. You know, so they just turned 18 a lot of them. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go to selection. And I know it's a more of a diverse, older crowd. Uh, they like a lot, you know, a bit more maturity and, and things like that. So I decided to go that route. And I took the lessons learned from getting hurt and applied that to not get hurt and to make sure that I had the opportunity for them to tell me no if they didn't want me. You know, because it's one thing to not, it sucks to not find out. You know, yeah. I, yeah. Wanted, I wanted one of them to look at me and say, you are not it. And then I could be like, you know, I don't believe you. But it sucks when the, you, you get injured and then you don't get to hear yeah. yes or no. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a hard thing to deal with. So then you make it through selection. Yep. And um, when do you graduate as a Green Beret? So not too long ago. I got, I graduated February 2015. So February 2015, like it's between, I think I went to selection in 2013. Finally got done and graduated February 2015. Um, I went to the, the teams in uh, Colorado, so 10th group. I did one tour. I was going to stay career. I loved it. I loved being a Green Beret. I was like, this is awesome. Um, I'm having the time of my life. I went on deployment. We started get, seeing a lot of combat. I was getting a ton of gunfights, and I was having a blast. And then things started to go south with our team sergeant, you know, and we just a lot of buttonheads. And I was like, man, this is turning from the best job I've ever had to miserable mm. by this just one leader, you one know. Leader. And so from there, I was like, I'm not, I'm going to go do something else. You know, if, if I'm not, if I'm going to butt heads with this guy, and a lot of us were butt heads with this, the same guy. And, um, you know, if I'm not happy, then I feel like I've lived enough unhappy days as a kid that as an adult, I'm not going to choose unhappiness. Yeah. So I moved on. and and I will continue to move on until, you know, if, if I'm going to, I'm going to be in my happy place. Right. And that's how I'm going to live my life. Good for you. So there's a big lesson there I want to share uh, and remind actually. So I'll share with any of our new listeners, remind our existing, our, our empire army that leadership's always the problem. Leadership is the solution. It's crazy that you're like, holy fuck, man, I found my place. This is it. I'm going to be a career yeah. military man. And one leader, one poor leader can demoralize an entire unit, an entire company, an entire organization, brand, you name it. Mm -hmm. um, leadership is the problem, leadership is the solution. And so at that point you're like, you know what, I'm out. Yep. I'm butting heads, everyone else is butting heads with him. And so what, what's the next evolution of your life there? So from there, I wanted to keep serving. So I went police department. So I signed up for the Denver Police Department. Um, and then literally no overlap. I was technically still in the army while I was in, um, base or in, uh, the police academy. Yeah. And my goal from there, I was like, I wanted Denver cause they had a full-time SWAT team. So it was like special operations and the SWAT team, like, let's do this. So your goal was to make it right into the Yeah. My, SWAT my team. goal was to get into SWAT and which is crazy that that was such a difficult thing to do. You know, SWAT teams don't have a program where you could fast track even from uh, special forces, which is bizarre to me because almost everywhere else does. Secret Service, I was in the pilot program to go straight to um, the CAT team, counter assault team. They, they called me like, hey, you know, we heard you getting out, your prior special forces, we're trying a new program to get guys from special forces. 
right to the cat team after six months. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, sweet. So I flew out. I went to Texas. I got through all the processing like one day until the polygraph. I went to do the polygraph for that. And this, it was a nightmare. This chick was just the worst like human being. <laughs> and she was, she was, me and her just butt heads, yeah. right? So, cause like, she was like, what are your bracelet me? I was like, oh, it's my, you know, buddy that, that died. Yeah. That was killed. And she's like, oh, at the end, like, what would he think about you lying? I was like, Whoa. What, what did you just say? And she's like, yeah, how, how would he feel about it? And I was like, you're crossing the line, lady. Like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so she got on her mind. So I get it. That's her job, right? She's trying to yeah. ruffle my feathers and stuff. But I was like, listen, it's not going to work. I was like, I'm done. You know, I didn't quit the conversation, but I was just like, I'm not lying about anything. You know, put whatever you want down. So yeah. failed the polygraph miserably because, you know, me and her just didn't get sure. over I've passed multiple after that, you know? So it's like, I've taken so many polygraphs after that and done, just, it was so fine. But, you know, you just get these polygraphers that drink their own Kool-Aid. So anyway, she shut down the counter assault thing, went police department. And uh, from there I got onto a, an impact team, which that was really fun. Just small team going around the city. What, you know? what does an impact team do? So an impact team, typically what a city will do is split up per district, and then you'll have an impact team per district, right? But uh, that impact team is going to try to focus on whatever crime is affecting that area, that Got specific it. area. So if it's, if it's gangs, um, drugs, whatever, car thefts, they could be, you know, you don't deal calls anymore. You just go and focus on those things to try and reduce that area's crime. Gotcha. So the chief decided, he was like, well, we should have a citywide one so they can go around to any area instead of just having their sections. Um, so we were the first ones on that team. We started a new team. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And then the riots happened. So now we're in 2020. The riots are happening. Everyone yeah. hates cops. Yeah. Holy and then smokes. from there, the department started kind of selling out cops, in my opinion. They were, like, not having cops' backs. One of my teammates is on like getting this like federal investigation for he's on a moving truck, shoots a pepper ball because we're getting rocks are just getting pelted at us. He shoots a pepper ball and it hits a guy's cell phone, knocks a cell phone out of his hand. Clearly can't do that. It's a moving car with one hand and the guy's like a hundred feet away. And they were like, Oh, he he must have done that on purpose. Wow. He must have targeted that guy. And so he's under this like huge lawsuit and it's like no no one's looking out for the cop like who's going to protect the cop like you guys are selling us out and i was like listen i'm not going to risk my freedom for you if you're not going to support me i was like that's too much so that's when i was like okay once again it's time to go find a, a new happiness it's it's but this time i'm not doing it for anybody else i was like i refuse to work for somebody else again i was like if i think i could do better then i need to do better and stop you know putting my faith in these huge organizations yeah. where I'm just a cog on the wheel. So at this point, you're at 32, 33 years old, mm -hmm. right? And up to this point, you're just like, all right, I'm going to try and work for an organization, yeah. whether the organization is the military or police department or whatever it was. Right. And um, so had entrepreneurship run through your mind before? Uh, I was I always like felt drawn to it. I always dr felt drawn to just running with ideas because I, I have a faith in myself after all the things I've been through yeah. and made it to the point where I've made it. 
I believed in that if I made a decision, I could do it. I could follow through with it and I could make it happen. I've proven that to myself. The thing, so I always found a lot of joy in thinking of different ideas. I just never settled in on one that got me truly excited I wanted to run with. Um, but then while I was a cop, I was like, I'm gonna write a book. I was like, I don't care if anyone reads it. It's not about them reading it, but I was like, I feel like this will be therapy for me. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice for my daughters to have this book and so one day they could read it and be like, wow, this is what dad went through. Um, you know, this is how far he came. This is how far he, he carried that torch. Let's, let's keep it going, you know? Like, let's not let him lose that momentum for our family's sake. And so that was the true purpose of that book for me. Hmm. You know, it's like- That's awesome, man. That's, that's actually a lot of forward thinking there. That's what I'm hoping, you know? Yeah. Cause it's like, we gotta break the chain. We have to break the cycles. We can't, and it scares me to death to think that any of those behaviors that I grew up with can slip back in. Right. So if that, if that book could, you know, be a reminder, it's like, hey, this behavior exists in our family. You need to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. You didn't experience it. Uh, my daughters have never even met my mother, you know, and, and so they've never, they've completely cut off from that. Like that, that cycle is broken. Good for you. So that was the goal of the book. And then. People started, and then I started doing, a, I got invited to do a podcast. And it was called Badass Dads, and it's one of my mentors that records it. Um, and my story, they were like, dude, it's powerful. Like, it's helping people. And I was like, that was, that changed the game for me. When somebody told me that my story helped them and that it impacted them, it was like a fire just lit inside mm -hmm. me. And I was like, th it, it was, it was, like taking a drug for the first time or something like i can't even describe how good of a feeling that was to to use my negatives to and turn it into a positive for somebody else yeah it it made a whole new path for me a whole new passion and so then i was like this book does not need to just be one sitting on my shelf that nobody reads what if i get people to actually read it and i could help more people and then what if in, instead of just the book what if i do a youtube channel helping people and I'll just jump on there and try to give them the wisdom I've learned, you know, and, and be a normal dude. And I think a lot of times SF guys, they try to like, like live, live up to each other, right? Sure. Like we're, we're tough guys. We're hard as nails and they are, right? I mean, a lot of them are, but at the same time, we're not, we're just normal dudes. And we have to take our, our brothers out of our, our minds when we're creating content for people and think about that person who hasn't done it yet. Yeah. Don't, don't make yourself larger than life so he doesn't think he can make it. Just be a normal dude so he knows that he has just as much chance to make it as you and you're not special. And that's what I try to do to help people get to those yeah. spots. And that's really the theme of, of your YouTube channel. <clears throat> the FNG Academy. Yeah. What, what does FNG stand for, for those who don't know? Fucking new guy. Fucking new guy. <laughs> what, what, what's that term from? So uh, when you're new on the, the ODAs, um, you're the fucking new guy. And you're a burden to your first team. You're an absolute burden. You don't know shit about shit. So the Q course taught you like the bare minimum to uh, function and to just grasp like the concept of what it's like to be a Green Beret. But it's really the responsibility of the, your first team to actually teach you how to do the job. So you're their fucking new guy. You'll never be anyone else's new guy ever again. So it's a special spot, right? Because yeah. once they go through the burden of teaching your ass, 
from every team you go through the rest of your career, you'll never be a new guy, someone's new guy. You'll never be their burden ever again. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot on that team to take a, a new guy and to make them into a Green Beret. So some of the ways they do that, and for me, my team made me wear a neon yellow hat. <laughs> I, I hated that damn hat. So they can identify you <laughs> yeah. as the fucking new guy? Yeah, and I had to wear it everywhere. And it, was a new, and it, said, it said ODA 0226 fucking new guy. And, and they were like, where's your hat, fucking new guy? And I was like, oh. And it's so embarrassing, right? Because not all the teams have these rituals or yeah. you know, traditions. So you're walking in the company with your stupid ass hat on and your buddy got to a team that's more laid back and he's just like, what the fuck are right, you wearing? Right. You know, we're not all going through it. So, um, and that one, that one hurt my ego. Every time I put that hat on, it was like. Uh, talk to me about those rituals, man. Like uh, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Because there, there's a ritual of dad kind of laying the law on you when you went to New York to live with him. Um, there's a ritual of that takes place in the military. There's rituals that take place in gangs. There's rituals that take place in prison, um, and and it's, it's us men that kind of do these rituals. There's rituals uh, that take place as a rite of passage, which is going to happen later today for a group of you know 40 young young boys, 13 to 15 years old, in the Squire program. Uh, some people don't understand these rituals. Like, what's what's the point of making? Like, why embarrass you? Why make you suffer? Why call you a fucking new guy? Why, mm -hmm. why have you do the dirty work? Why make you feel the pain? What's the purpose of all these, these rituals that mm -hmm. create an initiation? So, personally, I saw the value in it. it, it it's, th that's, a, that's a deep question, right? Because there's so many reasons. One, it's, it's a bonding thing. Two, it's a way to fill you out as a human being. Like, are you capable of showing up as this elite person and your ass is sweeping the floors and cleaning the shitters? Do you have the ability to be humble and to understand your place on a totem pole? Do you understand your, 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 that you don't know anything? Can you embrace that, you know? And so it says a lot about who you are when you are able to embrace these rituals because you know that it adds to the overall bond, the overall brotherhood, the, mm -hmm. the family, you know? And so these things, if you didn't have these, and it, it would just be a job. There wouldn't be a connection that's deeper, right? Because you don't go to McDonald's and, and get hazed in, in order to, and this hazed word became such like this negative thing. Well, it's like, you go tell me that you would do what I would do for my Green Beret brothers. You go tell me you would do that for your coworkers. I damn sure I bet you wouldn't. But my, but I had this mean hazing that happened to me, or there it wasn't nice. It bonds us in a way that I'm showing them through wearing the hat, through cleaning the floors. I'm showing that I might want to be part of their group. I want to be in. I will do these embarrassing things to prove to you that I want to be in, and it's and I'm also proving to you that I. You know, I have the ability to humble myself, to, um, you know, know my place. So just the exchange that goes back and forth, it deepens a bond deeper than people could ever imagine. Yeah. And that's why we don't have good relationships at work, because there is no uh, rite of passage to go to work. You got hired. Congratulations. Whether I like you or not, your cubicle's right here. You're going to sit next to me. You're going to deal with me. You didn't choose me. I didn't choose you. It is what it is, you know, and so there's no connection. 
But these rituals, they, they bond us in a way that's, that's deep. And even though I'm out of the military, I will not cross the line when it comes to my Green Beret family. I won't say things about Sear School, even though everyone wants to know about it. I know I could do a video right now and, and get tons of views and crush views on YouTube from talking about details about Sear School. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to talk about things that are OPSEC that are going to put my, my brothers at risk. I don't care how many views that's going to get or how much money that could make. I'm not going to do it. That bond runs deep and I'll always have their backs um, before putting money or, mm -hmm. you know, notoriety <clears throat> ahead of them. And it's because of those rituals that, you know, we're bonded like that. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. And it's, it's that trust and loyalty that was developed by you proving to them by paying your dues. Yeah, absolutely. And from the outside, it looks like hazing, that they're embarrassing you, that they're hurting you, giving you unnecessary pain. Uh, from the inside, I imagine, I've never been in the military, uh, I've had the good fortune that I'm surrounded by great men like you who I, I've got to understand and learn that. Um, it's very similar in the business field. There's a, probably two or three people in this building uh, that I can say like, when the poop hits the fan and during COVID, poop hit the fan. Like I knew who had my back mm -hmm. and they were like, hey man, even if I don't get paid, I'm good, I'm here. The rest of the team was just like, Hey, my, my pay's not going to get fucked, right? Because we're not taking any payroll cuts. We're not doing this. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, but I imagine you're going to war. You're going to gunfights. You want to know that the dude that's got your back was willing to suck it up and do the dirty work and all that stuff. Uh, there's a level of trust and loyalty uh, versus like, okay, now you're about to get tested in a real gunfight to see if you have, your, if you have my back. And you may or may not. Mm. Um, it's a lot of respect there. Um, so what's, what's the goal as an entrepreneur as you move forward? And I know that's a loaded question because you're just now stepping into it. Your YouTube channel is blowing up and rightfully so. It's kicking ass. You put out great content, um, really well shot, really well edited, great audio, um, great engagement with your, like I'm paying attention, man, like great engagement in the comments. Um, what's, what's, what's the goal here that where you're headed? So that is starting to develop and um you helped a lot with that i mean we had a conversation and you said hey man what's what's your goal so how could i help you and i thought it, was, it threw me off that you you would just help 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 it's like you just the minute you introduce yourself to me it's like what do you need how do you how do you grow how, you know and it 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 got me i was almost embarrassed when we hung up the phone that first time because i was like i wasn't able to articulate what i wanted and, and that was a hard thing for me not to be able to do with someone like you that's done so much. It's like, um, you think that you have your elevator pitch ready, right? But there's a part of entrepreneurship that's fun and exciting that you, you don't really know. You feel like you're, you're out in the ocean swimming towards an island you can't even see. Mm -hmm. So people are like, Where, which way are you going? You're like, I'm just swimming as hard as I can and hopefully some, some fucking trees pop right, up. Right. You know? I see some land. <laughs> I see some land. but. <clears throat> Um, as it's starting to, to develop, you know, we started the FNG Academy store we, and um, we're starting to put together packages to help guys get selected. So one aspect is to, to have the channel and have the store to be the place to go for anyone that wants to go special operations. I want to be the premier spot, the first spot people that decide to go special operations go for information, 
for education purposes, for entertainment purposes, um, and for equipment. Mm -hmm. So not things to just sell them, but things that are going to give them the advantage and help their percentages. I want to actually see uh, statistical data increased you know, selection rates at X percent for every person that watches the channel, purchases the, the kits and the things that we pick for them, um, and how do we do that? So that's what part of my team is working on, and, and uh, my boy Kurt, ex-Green Beret, he's running that side. Constantly just diving into how do we help them get better yeah. from that point of view. And then uh, Abel is running um, the content. Mm -hmm. So like we did with the show Wine and Rations, how do we keep creating content to get better and better and better, um, have fun, make these guys laugh? Because you can't always, there's a lot of stress that comes with trying to go this route. You know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So now that, how can we use content to, to let, them, let them laugh let them see that we're normal ass people. If we could do it, they could do it, uh, and entertain them throughout the their phases of this long process that they're about to go to. Because it's not overnight. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be years of their life grinding to get to the point where someone hands them that green beret. Yeah, that's powerful. I'm just curious for my, you know, just as you get to talking, I'm like, ooh. I wonder if there's gonna be any live events, like if he did a live event, like some kind of, not a retreat, but like some kind of an experience where maybe a group of dudes fly out who ultimately wanna go through selection and they get to work with you and your team who really give them a taste of what they're in for to see if they could really hack it or not when they commit to the real deal. Yeah, is there we, anything in plans like that? We have talked about that. So another member of the team is a uh, current Green Beret too, is uh, Tom. And he <clears throat> is looking at land in Texas and building a facility. Um, his plans are huge. So it's going to be a little bit down the road before it gets to the point where he wants that to go, that side of it. But he wants, uh, he calls it bro camp. And he wants the bro camp to be a place where we're going to teach you, but... Yes, and we're going to give you a taste and kind of similar to what you do for them. But I want you to I want you to leave feeling just like you had a blast. And let's decompress and then hang out with them, spend some time with them. So yes, that is in the works. Um, but that's something that we want to get right. Yeah. And and that's going to take a lot of thought and effort. And the last thing we want to do is to rush into that and not have it be the perfect you know experience. Yeah. 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 And, and you're right in doing that. It is. It is heavy lumber in putting together an in-person experience where you're controlling every element of what they get to experience, what they get to eat, drink, sleep, think, the fear of the chaos, et cetera, uh, that you might bring. And then the lessons that come with it, et cetera. Uh, we, we do it to help men evolve and develop into their highest level. Um, and whether you're doing it to see, give them a taste of uh, selection or whatever, but yeah, you're right. Well, and I think here's the thing that you mentioned that you guys are doing, and I think is super important, is you're, with the emotional aspect. You know, like you talked about those barriers, finding out what what is their, their barriers and letting them get that out into the open. Mm -hmm. That was writing the book for me. These guys need this. Like, I've, I've got guys that hit me up. They're like, my family doesn't want me to do this. Everyone's, like, like all the closest people in their lives are super negative and, like, really just putting them down and, tell them they can't do it and stuff. So I, I love the aspect that you guys hit about the emotional side because mm -hmm. you, you can't just focus on physical ability. 
Like if your thought processes aren't right and you're not emotionally, you know, in the right place in your life, adding skill and hardship to that is not going to, you know, help you. No, if anything, it might actually just break you further. Yeah, absolutely. Because it end up stressing you out. Yep. Well, listen, what have, what, have, what have we not talked about that you think is, is pertinent for us to talk about based on the topic of this show? Can you think of anything? I want to make sure we've hit everything. No, I think I loved it. This was fun. I think we yeah. had, hit some good stuff. Yeah. Did you have a good book. time? I did. That's awesome. I love The Office. I, I think from – actually, I have a question for you. So <laughs> – He just flipped the script. Yeah. So f- – what is that transition period, right? You started from such humble beginnings, like, and I feel like we have that in common. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Conor McGregor is kind of going through something similar, right? Where is. We, we root for him so much in the humble beginnings. But then once people succeed, we, we, why do, what is your take on that transition? That, and how do you cope with that transition to where all of a sudden you, you went from the hero to the villain? And why does success which we're all striving to get, why does that turn you into a villain? In your, in your opinion, like what is your kind of take on all that? So it's, it, it, it's funny, and you and I have a little backstory, which we won't talk about, the thing you texted me on, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden you were kind of villainized yeah. because of the success you're starting to see. Um, and that's a really good thing to share with the audience here, because as you start striving for success, you and you start developing that success, you might find people from your past coming out and you know, sharing on social media what a bad human you are. And you're like, man, I barely knew you. I we barely had anything in common. Or you might find new uncles and aunts who maybe need to borrow money all of a sudden. It's kind of like I imagine what a lottery winner, someone wins the lottery and you develop all these new family members out of the blue. Uh, but I think the reason people get, you, you start getting villainized. First of all, you start getting villainized by the people who you're really acting as a mirror for. Because you're like, hey, I, I had this conversation with my son. My son's 15 years old, he's in high school, and he's like, hey dad, um, don't you think that maybe the rich, like us, we should be paying more taxes because if we did, then like people could have a better life who are kind of making that you know lower income level. I'm like, son, don't forget that I was like dumpster diving as a kid, went to three, four different elementary schools, two different uh, junior highs, two different high schools. We moved around so much, um, you know, lived in section eight housing, et cetera. He's like, yeah, I know. I go, so if I can make it, why can't anyone else? He's like, yeah, you make a good point. I go, but the people that are crying about it are the ones that you're holding up a mirror to because they don't like to see that you came from where they were and then you decided to soar like an eagle. Uh, they're more like a crow. And I don't know if you know this about eagles or not, but the eagle gets attacked by two or three crows at a time. It's never attacked by one crow. It's attacked by two or three crows at a time. And when you're attacked by two or three crows at a time, the eagle doesn't have a way to fight off all three of them. There's only one way it could fight off all three of them. It just keeps rising and rising and rising in elevation because it can go to heights that the crow can't. As the air gets thinner, the crows give up because they can't get enough oxygen. They give up and fly off. And so the part where you start kind of feeling, feeling like you're being villainized is the part where now you're making noise, now you're doing something, and they're, they're feeling threatened, they're feeling like inadequate, because shit, I could be doing that, but I'm not, so fuck him for doing it. Here's what's great, is I've reached a place now in life where I'm so high up, I don't even hear that anymore. 
now they don't even, they just, they've given up from old high school friends to old family members, they've given up. But there's a period from where you started to where you're gonna be high enough where now just people root for me. I'm surrounded with, by people who are like-minded, who root for me, whether it's Tom Bilyeu who started Quest Bar or Jesse Etzler who, whose wife owns uh, Spanx and you know, he created Zico Coconut Water and NetJet and he owns half of a basketball team, Atlanta, where the fuck the Atlanta, whoever they are called. Um, and, and, and it's so cool to have people rooting for you instead of people hating on you. But there's almost, speaking of rite of passage, there's a rite of passage between going from white trash or, or a fucking immigrant foreigner, blue collar, whoever person to this guy or gal that you're going to be. That rite of passage is how much hate can you take? I, I always say how much shit are you willing to eat and keep missing weddings, keep missing funerals, keep missing birthday parties. And they go, when's, and I, I had one guy tell me, when's enough enough? How many more birthday parties and weddings are you gonna miss trying to make me feel guilty? And I was like, motherfucker, how many more kids can I help through Shriners Children's Hospital? How many more kids can I adopt through Compassion International? How many more kids can we buy shit for every Christmas through Toys for Tots? What about all that when I donate all that fucking money for, right? Don't make me feel fucking guilty because your fat ass is watching television all fucking day long and you're inadequate and I'm holding the mirror up to you. That's what your success is. Since then, now that guy's not even in my life. You just transcend where just the people in your life are fucking badasses. And you're like, oh shit, this is cool. But that's the, that's the only reason why people get toxic and they begin to hate on you and they see you as a villain is because you are a mere reflecting, showing them uh, the inadequacies that they're living. They're not following a purpose, a passion. They're addicted. Uh, you, you, you left fucking meth capital. They stayed it's a choice you made. You yeah. fucking problem solved. They didn't. Um, same with me. Like all my buddies, like from Adam, hey, remember when we used to strip cars down and fucking carjack? Yeah, I do. And I fucking feel horrible about it. I fucking feel awful about it. And I'm trying to fucking rack up so much karma points right now to fucking counteract all that. Because the little fucking Asian dude that we stole his fucking Honda Accord, he, he didn't fucking deserve that. And I would justify it with, well, he's got insurance. It's got insurance and I need fucking money anyway. He probably comes from a rich Asian family. I'm just a fucking, you know, living in, in section. What, what the fuck is that about, right? Um, and so I was like, hey man, actually, no, I don't want to remember that. And Tony Soprano says, he says, uh, remember when is the lowest form of conversation that any two people can have. Hmm. And so the people that you're gonna be hated by and villainized by are the people who wanna have the remember when conversation. Remember when we were like smoking out together? Remember when we were beating dudes up? Remember when, no man, I wanna remember when I was fucking, selling out, like buying everything out of Target to fucking donate more to fucking Toys for Tots. Like, that's what I want to remember when, not the fucking stupid shit we did. Uh, but that's, that's, that's my perspective on that. Um, someone else's could be different, but I just go like, do like the fucking eagle, just keep rising until these fucking crows can't handle the, the altitude and they drop off. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where can people find you, connect with you, hear from you? So um, Instagram, is Sean Buck Rogers, and then I tr I'm I'm behind. I'm not gonna lie. I'm behind on answering the comments, the questions on there. I get a lot of uh, DMs from from guys wanting advice. Yeah. And I, at first, I was I was so happy, and I loved the you know to get back to them, and I still do. But yeah. it's it's gotten so it's gotten a bit overwhelming. So, yeah. but I'm doing my best. Um, and for a while, my my wife would read the question. And I would answer the question so that way we could be knocking it out. She'd say, okay, well, this guy wants to know this. Roger that. Tell him this, 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 and this. And she'd go, okay, send. And then I would keep that going so I could answer all their questions. 
and then we had the baby and the move and now it's you know 100 plus all the time so but you know you can still send your questions i'll do my best to to answer guys but um we're really trying to like on the website um uh, the fngacademy.com we did a store with a forum so that way guys can communicate with each other because i think honestly they are are the best help for each other right because yeah. they're the ones you know pushing through the mud and finding new issues that they have to contend with mm-hmm. and then one will get past it and they don't realize that they're their own best friends they just need to communicate with each other more yeah uh, so the fngacademy.com forum we can they can jump on there and, and start helping each other out great resources so instagram sean buck rogers fng academy uh, in the forum, and of course, their YouTube channel, FN, FNG Academy. Yeah. Um, one last thing before we leave, um, I, I heard, I learned about it in your YouTube video. Buck, Buck is your nickname. Yeah. How, how did you get the nickname Buck? Yeah. So if you were Sean Rogers. Yeah. So when I when I first showed up to the team, uh, I was standing there, and, and you know, I walk in, and I'm all excited, like I'm gonna go meet my team. It's my new family, uh, and there's just you know a few green berets just working type on computers ones watching youtube videos or something and you know just hanging out yeah um and i was like what's up guys you know i'm sean i'm the new 18 bravo and they didn't even look up at me <laughs> they were just completely like no one gives a fuck dude yeah. like shut up um and so i just stood there for a while and i was like all right well this is not what i expected you know like a uh, and then finally, one of them looks up the, the Delta, the medic on the team, finally feels bad enough for me. He looks up and he goes, that's the team sergeant. Talk to that guy. And I was like, thank God, you know, something. They, uh, I'm visible. You right, know? right. They can see me. Yeah. So I go up to the team sergeant. I stand at parade rest. And I was like, I was like, Master Sergeant, I was like, my name is Sean Rogers. You know, I'm the new 18 Bravo uh, for the team. And he looks at me and he goes, don't stand at parade rest. It's fucking weird. And I was like, Okay, won't stand and pray rest the rest of that. And he's like, what's your name? And I was like, he's not listening to me. <laughs> yeah, I thought I just said it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's Sean Rogers. And he goes, Rogers? Like Buck Rogers? <laughs> and then goes back to fucking YouTube. And I was like, this sucks. And then I, he didn't even tell me anything after that. I just walked away. So I, I yeah. just walked out of the team room and was like, we'll try that again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And their name stuck. Yeah, and then everyone just... What's up, Buck? And I was like, gosh, damn it. <laughs> Did you ever try and like uh, maybe shed that name, get rid of that name, or was it just well, it immediately stuck? So this is, for me, why I started actually using it was because at first I was like, I, I hate it, and I wouldn't, inter- I wouldn't talk about Buck. I would just, I'm Sean. My name's yeah. Sean. I'm Sean. And then my buddy called me, uh, my buddy Jerry, amazing Green Beret. Uh, he had cancer survivor, combat veteran, total badass. He's in like eight deployments. Uh, he calls me, he goes, Hey Buck. Um, and when he said that, he said, Hey Buck, like it's been my name my whole life. It reconnected me to the nickname. And I was like, it went from this thing that I was trying to get rid of to now my brothers know me as Buck. I, to them, I'm Buck. And when he said it like that, it, I was like, okay, I'm Buck. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, man, thank you for um, spending time with us, for being so open, honest, vulnerable with us. Um, Guys watching this, uh, do me a favor and uh, visit. Make sure you follow Sean on Instagram. Make sure you check out FNG Academy on YouTube and subscribe to that channel. And, of course, check out his website. And um, as, as you guys listen to this episode or watch this episode, do us a favor. Leave us a review and take a screenshot. Tag Sean. Tag myself. 
And uh, as always, don't forget to tell your mama. We'll see you later.